Gamble on, fellas. Gamble on. <laughs> to Gamble On, a weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, U.S. Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our Senior Analyst, Pulitzer Prize Finalist, John Brennan. And it's time to find out how prone to sentimentality you are, John. This uh-huh. past Sunday, Washington football team third-string quarterback Alex Smith got into the game after Kyle Allen went down. Smith went 9 for 17 for 37 yards in a losing effort. And the odds swung dramatically, and Smith is now the minus 330 favorite at FanDuel Sportsbook to win NFL Comeback Player of the Year. Coming into the week, Ben Roethlisberger and Cam Newton were both way ahead of Smith in the odds, but he leapfrogged them both. John, as we discussed with Rafe last week, you used to vote on NBA awards, so this is familiar territory for you. Uh, If... Alex Smith finishes his season 9 of 17 for 37 yards, no wins, and Roethlisberger and or Newton lead their teams to the playoffs. Could you see yourself voting for Smith? Yeah, I'm going to say eventually what everyone is thinking about Alex Smith, who, of course, has survived 17 surgeries, nearly lost his life after fracturing his tibia and fibula in a horrific injury in 2018. Uh, it so happens that Jason Williams, of course, whose Nets career and later manslaughter trial and other legal issues I've covered for more than 15 years, um, hit that same daily tibia fibula double hmm. in 1999 with knee surgery to boot. Uh, he spent 12 months working out ferociously. He got within one more full practice of returning to play. And in that practice, he blew out the other knee. Had to call it quits. Uh, but that's a basketball player, not a quarterback. Um, anyone who saw Alex Smith get sacked repeatedly on Sunday had to cringe. Yep. Um, I also happen to have attended the final game of Mets third base in David Wright's career a couple of years ago. A uh, similar scenario of a year or more of grueling rehab. This was a major back injury instead. But it was clear that Wright couldn't really make it all the way back. So he settled for one final meaningless game at the end of the season. Uh, his two-year-old daughter sort of threw out the first pitch as all family was on the field. Played five innings, got a couple of at-bats, uh, left with one thunderous ovation after another. I mean, it was uh, it was a great scene. I've never seen a happier athlete than David Wright that day. Hmm. Well, Alex Smith, um, you two have done the impossible. So now, bluntly, I'll get around to it. Yeah, I told you I would. Uh, I'm rooting for something like a major case of turf toe hmm. or like a sore rotator cuff. Nothing bad enough to cause long-term issues, but just enough for the love of God to keep him off the field for good. As far as Comeback Player of the Year, NFL should give him a special honor and let Cam and Big Ben battle Comeback Player of the Year official award for themselves. Although, is there an integrity fees issue there? I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, it's a fascinating discussion because, like, you're not supposed to grade, say, coach of the year on a curve, but people do. Anyway, you know, if a coach led a team that improved from 4-12 and 12 to 10-6, and six, he has a much better shot at winning coach of the year right. than the guy who went 13-3, and three, but also went 13-3 and three the year before that. So people grade on a curve with coach of the year. Comeback of the year, grading it on a curve is implied in the name. You know, it's a comeback. What are you coming back from? How deep are the depths you sunk to? George Foreman came back from a 10-year retirement. That's a huge part of the narrative of what makes what he did so remarkable. So you do have to consider that Alex Smith almost died and was not expected to ever play football again versus two other guys who each missed one season due to injury. 
But that said, I think the odds we're seeing right now reflect the sentimentality of this moment. And we have to bake in that a lot of weeks are going to pass. I don't know that Smith should be that big of a favorite. If if Newton or Roethlisberger leads a team to like a 12-4 and record and puts up good numbers and Alex Smith ends up having played just those two quarters, as you are hoping will be the case, yeah. uh, you know, when, when it's time to vote. I don't know. I now might be the perfect time to bet Roethlisberger at plus 420. Um, I personally would have a hard time voting for Alex Smith for this award if he isn't on the field for at least one win. Uh, you're, you make a good point. They should have a separate award for him because for this one, I don't know, maybe I'm just a crusty, jaded old sports writer, but uh, I, I can't see it off of uh, one half of play. Oh, I, I agree with that. I mean, I, I say it's just... Um... It's just tough to watch. I I, I applaud him. And right. I can say he, he should learn a lot from David Wright. And again, that was a non-contact sport. Right. But it was a it was a beautiful thing. He should be thrilled. You know, his family. I saw his, his young kids were in the stands, and you know, they all had Alex Smith jerseys on, and they're all cheering. I mean, it's a beautiful, incredible moment of uh, you know perseverance. And he he won. So now you can move on to the next phase of your life, Alex. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, thank you to everyone out there for joining us for episode number 113 of Gamble On. If you missed any of our previous 112 episodes, they're all available on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. We hardly ever miss a week, thus making us ineligible for Comeback Podcast of the Year. <laughs> Nicely played there. Eric. Um, coming up a little later in the show, we're going to be joined by Bill Asher. He's the CEO of Monkey Knife Fight, undoubtedly the most creatively named company in the daily fantasy sports space, and a name that people have probably heard, but they may not be familiar with. So you're going to learn a lot from that. We're going to talk to Bill about their origins and why he thinks there's an audience for an alternative to DraftKings and FanDuel style daily fantasy sports. Uh, but first, it's been a not quite typically busy week in the world of gambling. So let's get to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. Our first story is partially about news that's come in over the past week and partially about news that is coming over the remainder of this week. The topic is September sports betting revenue. And it's pretty much a done deal that this is going to be the biggest legal sports betting handle month in U.S. history. August, a slower sports month most years, set the record at $2.19 billion. And with three states having reported so far, signs point to September beating August easily. In Indiana, handle was up 22.7% over August from $169 million to a new state record of $207.5 million. In Iowa, handle increased 43.9% over August to $72.4 million. And in West Virginia, September's handle was $76.9 million, up a massive 90.3% over August's $40.4 million. As we record this podcast, we're a few hours away from New Jersey announcing its September numbers and about 24 hours or so away from Pennsylvania's monthly press release. Those numbers, along with Nevada's, will be the most important in determining just how high the final national tally goes. Uh, but I took a shot at some estimates for an article this week on U.S. bets, and I landed on a total of $2.78 billion dollars. That, however, was leaning toward the low side of my range of projections in most states. So if I'm setting a line, I'm going a little higher. 
John, if I say $2.89 billion for September, are you taking over or under? And uh, what are you expecting specifically in your home state of New Jersey when they announce this afternoon? I, I see that our friends Alfonso Stratton and Captain Jack Andrews put their over under at $840 million for New Jersey. Which way did you vote on their Twitter poll? Yeah, I did vote on the poll, and uh, I picked under, but those guys set tough lines every month for sure. I'm always hesitant. Um, I'll double down with under on your solid number as well. Um, New Jersey and Pennsylvania are a little bit of uh, more mature markets in sports betting. I mean, they're still preschoolers, but they're a little more mature. So I'm not sure that their percentage is going to go up as high as those other states. Um, And I'm speculating a little bit of it's a modest cannibalization, I'd say, from so many big sporting events going on simultaneously. The sensible better doesn't go beyond his reasonable budget. He just allocates a discretionary income a little differently. So um, even the numbers you guys have are are factoring in a big boost already. So uh, it's not like we're ignoring that. So I'm going under on both. Okay. Well, I actually voted the over on their uh, $840 million, and I see uh, 73.5% of respondents did as well, but maybe we all just fell victim to it's fun to bet the over. Um, I I think they (laughs) certainly set a good line. As you said, it should be somewhere right around where they set that line. Uh, September, whatever it comes in at, whether it's $2.8 billion, $3 billion, whatever, it should be the peak for a while. It figures to come down in October with NBA and NHL now finished and baseball playing just a fraction of the games each day that there were in September. Not to mention those football bettors who went big in September and didn't do well and aren't likely to reload their accounts or bet as big the rest of the season. Whatever the September number is, it should stand up as the record through the end of the calendar year maybe until next September even, although I'd I'd say probably not because once Virginia launches and Michigan goes online, you know, hitting $3 billion in the Super Bowl month or or March Madness, if there is March Madness, uh, that's in play. And, And if it turns out the Super Bowl and March Madness both land in March, forget about it. That's going to be the, the biggest month ever. <laughs> I think it might land, Super Bowl might land in March, and then, yeah, that would be the biggest ever for sure. And the NCAA is going to figure out some way to do something in March. It'll be it'll be madness for sure. I'm not sure it'll be after 32-game uh, seasons, but, uh, right. yeah, it'll be madness. Yeah. Um, and, you know, obviously we said we're, we're keeping an eye on New Jersey and Pennsylvania, which are soon to report. But Colorado and Illinois are also interesting states to watch in that they're both still newbies, and they're they're growing enormously each month. Those are states that could potentially double from August to September. And if they do, that goes a long way toward putting $3 billion in reach. Uh, But you're taking the under on my $2.89 billion overall for the country. I'm a little nervous about it, but yes. Okay. Um, Our second and third stories this week both involve product issues that are negatively affecting sports gambling customers. So the first of those two, we're going to look at a major glitch impacting DFS players. Over the weekend, data provider StatsPerform had a service outage, and this impacted several DFS sites, most notably FanDuel, which during college football on Saturday and NFL on Sunday, not to mention MLB and NASCAR contests, was unable to provide scores for anyone entered in any contest. If you've ever played DFS, you know that a huge part of the fun is being able to see the fantasy scores update in real time and know what you're sweating as you're watching the games and know if toward the end of the games you have a big money sweat going. Uh, But at the same time, the scores are the scores and the fantasy results will be the same whether you know about it Sunday or have to wait another day or two, right? 
Well, not exactly. Because of the late swap feature, uh, using NFL as an example, when some of the players in your lineup are playing in the 4 p.m. games, you can make strategic choices based on how the 1 p.m. games went. Uh, but that element of the game, those switches and swaps, that's removed if nobody has a clue what anyone's scores at any point in the day are. Although uh, DraftKings's DK Live app was affected, uh, which basically just shows you the, the scores and the fantasy tallies for each game and each player, the actual games and scores on the DraftKings app itself weren't affected, seemingly because they pay for a backup stats provider. So DraftKings avoided real issues, but FanDuel had a mess on its hands and customers were pissed and the modest site credits they offered players didn't seem to appease them. Our colleague Chris Altruda tried to get a comment from Stats Perform, but they didn't respond to him. As disastrous as this was, from what I could tell, John, the story didn't spread beyond DFS Twitter and the article that Chris wrote. Is DFS just not that mainstream anymore? Uh, and do you see anything changing as a result of this? Like, will the major DFS operators hire their own in-house stats and tech providers from now on? Well, yeah, I think this is pretty bad. And I do think they're going to have to uh, react to this as quickly as possible. Um, you know, this is the kind of thing that can make a few players frustrated enough to try sites like, well, Monkey Knife Fight, as mm. listeners either already can imagine or they will after they hear the interview coming up. Uh, so something's got to be done. They They can't. They they can't have this in in this day and age. I mean, there's there's plenty they they have plenty of funding, you know. Uh, right. They can they can afford to do this and not not spending the extra money on having you know backups and fail safes is a, a losing proposition. And I hope they learn from this. Yeah, from what I understand, DraftKings uses Sport Radar as as a backup, and so that's how they avoided FanDuel like disaster. But yeah, FanDuel's definitely in a tough spot here with regard to refunds and such. I think they are going to get sued by some players and they're going to lose some customers. I think they need to make changes to their to their stat system and they need to announce those changes very publicly and assure players this won't happen again because I wouldn't pay money to play DFS on a site where I'm not confident I can track my scores all day. And the fact that stats perform was still having issues a few days later is really troubling here. But I guess FanDuel and DraftKings, even though this didn't happen to them, I, uh, I guess that they are lucky this happened now and not in 2014 or 2015, because there would be a whole New York Times expose on how the companies behind that deluge of Sunday advertisements are ripping off customers, yada, yada. You know, DFS is definitely outside the mainstream sports conscious now. It's all about sports betting, not DFS. And so... In a way, that works to their advantage on this one, that this disaster seems to be contained mostly to the DFS community. I agree. And that's even though, you know, obviously DFS has not gone away with sports betting. It's still right. a huge industry. But, yeah, I agree that the the focus and the attention is gone from them. And they're definitely lucky in a case like this because, uh, you know, no such thing as bad publicity. I think this would be bad. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Uh, all right. Our final story, the other sports gambling product issue we're going to cover this week is potentially more nefarious, at least if the accusations some pro sports bettors are making are accurate. Uh, noted pro sports better Bill Krakenberger, a New Jersey native who lives in Las Vegas and was featured on the Showtime docuseries Action, tweeted over the weekend, Will Hill definitely cheats on live wagering. And our former podcast guest Rufus Peabody amplified it with a tweet saying, William Hill has a long and storied history of this practice, 
the prolonged spinny wheel lets them accept slash deny bet based on what happens on the field. This should be illegal, exclamation point. Krakenberger expanded to Brian Pempis for a piece that may or may not have published yet on Sports Handle by the time you hear this, quote, William Hill is the only book in Las Vegas that uses the spin hold in queue delay process. What that does is it gives them a chance to look at your bet, then check to see if they are in line with the market. He added that William Hill will sometimes, quote, delay the customer and not accept a bet after watching the next play if it's in the player's favor. Conversely, if the next play works against the player, they will accept it, end quote. So if you've ever live bet on any site, you know that the site presents you with odds. And if you decide to place a bet at those odds, well, you know, the odds are constantly updating. So by the time the bet processes a few seconds later, sometimes the odds change and the site will typically ask you if you still want to make the bet at the new odds. What Krakenberger and Peabody are alleging is that William Hill intentionally takes advantage of that delay to deny customers the bet if it swings in their favor and take the bet if it swings in the house's favor. We have no idea what is actually going on at William Hill and whether these accusations are accurate. And one of the top minds in the industry, author Ed Miller, told Pempus that William Hill's intentions might be pure and the lag time is just a technical issue that the industry needs to improve. But, John, if a sports book is intentionally rejecting good bets and accepting bad ones, that should be a major controversy, right? Oh, absolutely. And if there's concrete evidence put forth that showed that pattern, I believe that would run afoul of New Jersey regulations and likely a number of other states as well. Uh, you know, image is everything, as Las Vegas resident poet laureate Andre Agassi once said. <laughs> and, uh, you know, William Hill definitely has this image. Um, I reported about 18 months ago when a company executive was challenged on this issue at the Sloan Sports Conference at MIT in Boston. Uh, I really want to see this question resolved. Uh, chips falling wherever they may. Yeah, uh, I, I'm with you. I'd, I'd like to see this looked into. And then look, it's all a big if for now. Let's be clear. We are not saying that William Hill is manipulating anything or taking advantage of anything, that it's necessarily anything other than a lag. We don't know the intention behind it. But if they're doing what Crack and Rufus are saying, that's something the gaming commissions need to put a stop to immediately. Uh, you know, if it's true, that's the biggest scandal in legal U.S. sports betting to this point, by far, in my opinion. Uh, you know, if I'm on the app and I see the Saints at plus 200 while trailing the Chargers on Monday night, and I try to bet the Saints and the wheel spins and the Saints are running a play and they pick up a first down and now it rejects the bet. Uh, but if Drew Brees gets sacked, it accepts the bet. <laughs> yeah, that is a full-on scandal right there. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with you that, you know, David Reebok, the folks in Nevada, any state with a William Hill sports book, you have to look into this. In-game betting is, is big and getting bigger, and the book already has its baked-in advantage, as we know, in the VIG. This would be a major problem for the industry if books are trying to add to their advantage in this way. Yeah, I wonder if this puts things over the top. I feel as if William Hill over the last couple of years has kind of slapped this away of like, oh, it's all exaggerated or just a bunch of disgruntled betters and, and that sort of thing. And, and it's no big deal. And thinking it has not reached a critical mass, but I think this is the critical mass. I think they have to take this head on publicly and either explain what they are or not doing, including whether tech has something to do with it rather than something else that may not satisfy, you know, certain people, but at least uh, address it. That's what they need to do. Agreed. It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the gamble on interview. 
popularity of sports betting and fantasy sports, it's only natural that some of gaming's most creative minds have been brainstorming ways to tweak fantasy sports in ways that might broaden its appeal. One such mind is Bill Asher, the CEO of Monkey Knife Fight, a rapidly growing fantasy sports site that is built around player props. And he joins us now to explain Monkey Knife Fight and discuss the state of the industry. Bill, welcome to Gamble On. Thank you, Eric. Very excited to be here. Um, so I'm going to start with a, a two-part question for you. Um, you said coming up with the name Monkey Knife Fight, quote, involved a bottle of tequila. So I have to know <laughs> what brand of tequila, so I know for future brainstorming sessions. Uh, and, and then the more serious question is, how did the idea for Monkey Knife Fight develop? Well... Let's start with the important stuff. I, I wish I knew, you know, we've, we've lamented the fact that we don't have the empty bottle of tequila around as some kind of a memento. I do remember I drove down to my liquor store, the bottle shop, and went in. And I remember it was a cheap bottle of tequila because I thought to myself, three shots in, I'm not going to know the difference. This is not the time to spend money on fancy tequila. I'm not trying to impress myself. Um, as far as the more serious part of the question, the idea for MKF, uh, for Monkey Knife Fight, came about because I'm a sports junkie, and, you know, I love my teams. I'm from Illinois, so it's Bulls and Bears and Blackhawks and Cubs, by the way. Hmm. And, you know, I just wanted a fantasy sports product that I would play. I tried DraftKings, and it, it felt like a math test. You know, it's something you fill out. It takes hours, and you got to pick a bunch of players, and you got salary caps. It was no good for me. And I had met this guy named Nick Solsky who ran a, a, a company called Draft Day. Had that same fantasy sports thing that DraftKings and FanDuel had. And I told him, I said, this is, this is terrible. Like, I don't get why people like this, even though millions of people play it. You know, and, and Nick said, yeah, he, he got that also. He, he felt the same way. So we just sat down and said, look, what technically is fantasy sports? What can we offer people that is technically legally fantasy sports, but that is more fun for the casual fan, where you can make you know easy predictions on your favorite players and the game you're going to watch, uh, and then you know you kind of win or lose based on your skill, not just based on someone else having a computer program that can beat you. And so that was the way it happened, and we just launched it and rolled it out, and it was popular. Okay, and then and then just as far doubling back to the name, just sort of uh, in your tequila-induced haze, uh, was sure. there was there at the time a, a connection between Monkey Knife Fight and and the product, or uh, or, or was there was it always just uh, this is a cool name? It doesn't have to really connect to to what we're trying to do here. Well, you know where it does come from is it comes from The Simpsons, um, the cartoon, right. and it is about when Homer takes Mr. Burns' yacht out beyond in the international waters and basically anything is legal and famously he puts on monkey knife fights for people to bet on. Ah, okay. So there is a there is a tie there. I, I wish I could say that that was our brilliance. It was really probably just tequila induced, you know, comedy. Then later on we were like, hey, it's a great name and there is a reference from The Simpsons. That's where it came from. Okay. Um, but uh, n nothing that brilliant. Okay. <laughs>
Okay. Yeah, Bill, uh, tell us about your background, uh, both whether it's in sports or out of sports. Uh, is there anything particularly entrepreneurial you, you've done before yeah. that you know gave you the experience that would lead you toward you know this thing coming about, or is this like completely out of your comfort zone and something not any nothing like you've ever tried before? Or? Yeah. Well, I am an entrepreneur, um, and I've been fortunate enough to have a few successes in my background. None of them, however, have anything to do with sports or gaming uh, of this kind. You know, I, I did have different businesses that were had similar demographics, if you will. You know, um, they, you know I've always kind of sold products to predominantly guys like me, things that I could understand, whether it's bars and sports bars and nightclubs or adult products or whatever. And this just was the same thing. This is something where I went, yeah, I like sports. And so... You know, you try to find something that you're comfortable with. And to me, it was, you know, I like sports. I don't like DraftKings and FanDuel. Therefore, I'm going to create something that I would like, which is what I'm always trying to do as an entrepreneur. And that's what I did. I mean, it's it's amazing that uh, as many people feel the same way as I did about what was available in fantasy sports and what Monkey Knife Fight offered them and, and the fact that it was pretty much exactly what they were looking for. Yeah, I mean that's it kind of reminds me of for young writers they say write what you know you know that that that's something you have experience in and you can talk about that other people don't know as much about and that's why it'll be more compelling than trying to sort of pass yourself off in some world where you really don't understand what's going on. So this is like you said you're you're making something for you and there's a lot of people like you. It makes sense. Yeah, I mean what do you do at night? What is your passion? What is your pastime? When you go home at night and you have free time, what do you do? In my case. I crack open a beer, I watch sports. So for me, I, it was something that, that was very natural for me to say, let's create something for me to do while I'm watching sports and having a beer. All right, so continuing on that sort of topic of creating something that appeals to you and people of a similar mindset to you, um, you you've said a couple of times, DraftKings wasn't for you, FanDuel wasn't for you, you, you didn't quite get it. And one thing that I would push back on there um, is, you know, you talk about how monkey knife fight and advantage for that over DFS is it takes the work out of building lineups. Um, I would counter that building those lineups, you know, figuring out where the value is and how to stack players and making all the pieces fit under the salary cap. For me, that's half the fun of DFS. Um, But uh, so I'm curious, have you observed that there are a lot of DFS players who are of the same mindset as you? They want the sweat and the fun without the work. and and how would you sell someone like me who does enjoy DFS on Monkey Knife Fight? Well, first of all, you know, when I say it's not for me drafting the FanDuel, it's clearly for millions of people like yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think it's an either or. I, I think that they are really, they're both, you know, legally fantasy sports, but they're very different products. And some days you're going to want to do one and some days the other. So it's, it's not that I'm stealing you away from my competitor so much as if you like their product, great. Sometimes you're in the mood to do that and other times not. For you, the fun occurs putting together the lineup. Once the lineup put together, then at that point, the odds are, as you well know, you're likely to lose right. the, your money. And it, it's somewhat hard to follow as you go through. The idea for Monkey Knife Fight is that the fun kind of starts once you make your pick. So let's say you're going to watch the Lakers play Golden State, and you've got strong opinions on how LeBron's going to play and how Steph Curry's going to play and how AD's going to play. So you're going to watch that game. 
you're going to go into monkey knife fight. You're going to make some predictions on LeBron. You know, our, our simplest game is just more or less. Well, you have more or less than 26 points. How about Steph Curry, more or less than four three-pointers. AD, more or less than 10 rebounds, whatever. And then the fun starts because then you, you, you put down your money, you make these predictions, and then you turn on the game that you're going to watch. You, we're going to, you know, you're a Laker fan or you're a Golden State fan, you're going to watch that game anyway. Now you have the fun of actually watching and you know, you know, that you're going to win or lose based on if you're right. So when you're watching LeBron shoot, you know, if he hits a three-pointer, now you're at 17 points, you know, you got nine more to go. It makes the game more enjoyable. So it's for people who are going to watch those games anyway, and they just want to have a little extra fun. It, you know, so it's a, it's a different fan than does who wants to put in the, I think it's, they say, 6.9 hours on average to play traditional fantasy sports per, per week. So it's a, it's a different person or it's the same person on a different day. You know, I think that they're very different products is all, but they, they both have their place. Right. And yeah, I, I, I see what, you're, what you mean about the sort of sometimes it can be the same person on a different day and in a different mood. You know, like I like to play online poker, but uh, where there <laughs> where there is some level of skill involved, but it also can be a bit of a grind. And then you have those yeah. moments where you're like, you know what? I'd rather play online blackjack. It's going to be a quick hit and there's almost no skill involved, but I'm in more in the mood for that. And so so I get what you're saying, that it, it might just kind of depend on your mood and, and whether you're you want to sit down and put in those hours of work or you want to kind of make some quick decisions and then sit back and watch the game. I, I love your, your background, Eric. Um, <laughs> you're, you're, you're a poker player, you're a fantasy sports guy, and you've even got a, an Ivy League degree. I'm not sure what a guy like you is doing in a place like this. <laughs> With guys like us, maybe, you know, you made a wrong turn somewhere and ended up here at the, at the podcast. But um, at any rate, you, you're correct. Sometimes you want monkey knife fight, and sometimes you might want DraftKings. <laughs> yeah, I made I made a few wrong turns, but how much? What's it take? Three three wrong turns to end up making a right turn? Something like that. <laughs> yeah. Now, Bill, can you talk about? You know, you've got a number of partnerships uh, now with famous professional sports teams um, that are teamed up with something called Monkey Knife Fight. So, if you could talk <laughs> talk a little about you know who you've got, and then I just wonder if was it more of a challenge for you to explain the name at first, or was it the concept that they might have struggled with, or did they already do their homework before you even called them? You know, uh, well, I mean, this is the part where I, I rattle off the list of my partners, so any of your listeners who might be fans of these teams, maybe they'll give me a, a second look. You know, in, in baseball, we got the Brewers, the Twins, the Padres, the Marlins, the Giants, and the Rangers are all our partners. Uh, football, we got the Dolphins. The Chargers, the Buccaneers, um, the LA Kings in hockey, they're putting our logo on the ice as we speak for the new season. We've got the LA Galaxy and Soxers. So we've got a lot of Charlie Hoffman and PGA. We've made a lot of partnerships. And as far as your question, what's easier to explain than the name of the concept? Well, nowadays, all sports teams know who we are because we have so many partnerships. We've talked to virtually every team in every league about the potential. So everybody knows who Monkey Knife Fight is. When we started down this path, um, and we were less well-known, and we talked to a couple of, I think we started with a baseball team or two, and later on I even heard the story of them trying to explain to their boss that <laughs> they, were, they were talking about a partnership with called Muggy Knife Fight, and people questioning whether or not, first of all, it was a joke, and, and whether what it was we were selling. Uh, so it, at that point, it was much easier to sell our concept than our name. 
now obviously it, the, the name is known and, and so is the concept. The concept though is is relatively easy. Th- these teams have all done deals with FanDuel and DraftKings in the past. Those have been usually been their fantasy sports partners. So, you know, it was relatively easy to understand that, hey, there's a new guy in town, and he's been making a name for himself, and he wants to reach your fan base. And so whether it is the, the Dolphins in Miami or, the you know, the Twins in Minnesota or the Padres in San Diego, we just – we just want to come in and introduce our fantasy sports to those fans. And I'm sure with the season the Padres just had, you know, everybody, all their fans in San Diego heard our name. And same with the Minnesota Twins had a great year, you know, and, and, and such. So it's, uh, it's been a lot of fun having those partners. And I think now they're used to our name and our concept. Right. Really interesting stuff. And uh, yeah, I think uh, any anyone in the industry would agree that it's always great to have innovation and, and new companies coming out and trying new things and, uh, you know, building momentum the way you have. So it's uh, it's very cool what, what you're building and uh, looking forward to uh, to more from Monkey Knife Fight going forward. But it's been it's great. been great talking to you, Bill. Uh, thanks so much for joining us on Gamble On this week. Yeah, Eric and John, thanks so much. Right, I'll thanks, talk to Bill. you later. Two men. Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. We'll get to the Fast Five shortly, but first, let's update our shared bankroll, and you're not going to believe where the roll stands right now. We came into last week up by $110 with $705 on hold in futures bets. I made a $40 futures bet on Aaron Rodgers for MVP, so we're now at $745 in futures bets. My other bet was a cross-sport parlay, boxer Emmanuel Navarrete to win, which he did by unanimous decision, and LeBron James to win finals MVP, which he did on Sunday night. We risked $161 and $100. John lost $100 on his bet on Colin Morikawa to finish in the top 20. Morikawa had a bad tournament and missed the cut. And John also dropped $110 on Florida, giving six and a half points versus Texas A&M. The Gators lost outright. So we were plus $110 coming into the week. We lost $110. And that means 113 episodes (laughs) into this experiment, we are exactly to the dollar dead even. (laughs) Uh, Now, because we have $745 on hold in futures bets, that means the amount available in our bankroll uh, to bet with is not $10,000. It's $9,255. But in terms of wins and losses, we are exactly break even. John, how amazing (laughs) is that? Well, you know, I still say that on a long stretch of wagering with a $10,000 bankroll, I think par is is kind of also known as true mediocrity would be minus 500 bucks. Okay. So so we're under par, which is good, although so was uh, Colin Marikawa at minus six after two rounds in Las Vegas. That score got you inside the cut line for every PGA Tour event for more than 30 years in a row, but not this one. Tied for 67th and a cut of 65 in ties. Hmm. Um, meanwhile, Florida giving six and a half. They're up seven with four minutes left in the game. At Texas A&M throws a pass to the end zone. At the exact same millisecond, both the defender and I have an epiphany. Let's go hero and make this interception to steal the game. 
We chose poorly. <laughs> Instead of more sensibly slapping the ball away and probably coming away with the win, the grab for glory led to a lunging miss and an A&M catch for a game-tying touchdown. Then there was a fumble, and I don't know. I, I think the even designation after two full years here is awesome enough that I'm, I'm okay with losing those two beats. Right. Okay. All right. Well, we are uh, starting over in a sense now. We're even, Stephen, trying to build $10,000 into something more than $10,000. Although, as you said, in a way, we could look at ourselves as winning betters to this point. But technically, in terms of dollars, we are absolutely even. So here we go, starting over, and I'm up first this week. Uh, And I'm going to get it going with a three-team, seven-point NFL teaser. Using DraftKings odds... The Patriots are minus 10 against Denver at home. Cam Newton is expected to play. We can tease them down to minus three. Feels fairly safe to me. The Dolphins are minus nine and a half at home against the hopeless Jets with Flacco starting instead of injured Sam Darnold. We can drop that one to Miami minus two and a half. And then for the third leg, I'll use an over-under. I wanted to include the Vikings-Falcons game, but that's off the board for the moment due to COVID uncertainty. So... Instead, Rams 49ers has an over under of 51 points. We can take the over and get that down to 44. Uh, I know the Rams defense only gave up 19 points the last two weeks, but that was against Washington and the Giants. I'm confident these two teams can go over 44 in what is just about a must-win game for the Niners. Add it all up, and it pays plus 131. So let's bet... $100 $100 to win $131. And after I make a parlay or teaser bet, I always like to check in with you, John. Is there a leg you hate in there, or do, do all three look reasonably solid to you? No, I, I think it seems really really plausible. So I expect you to win two of those three, actually, and deposit <laughs> minus $100 into the bankroll. So there we go. We'll be off to zero. There we uh, go. So let's see. I, I've absolutely straddled around the exact line. Speaking of straddling around the exact line, last three weeks of college football picks. So I have 110 to win 100 at Notre Dame over Louisville. Uh, at minus 16 and a half points. Um, I doubt I've ever taken the Fighting Irish. Don't get me started on the nickname or even worse than that stupid leprechaun mascot because the public loves them and their stupid mascot too much. But uh, Notre Dame is home. Louisville's awful, especially awful against the run. Uh, Notre Dame can run. So it's blowout city in this one. Okay. Uh, For my second bet, I'll stay in the NFL. Uh, Regular listeners might have expected a bet on the Lomachenko-Lopez fight on Saturday, but I can't quite find one I love. So instead, an NFL futures bet on an end of season award, not the comeback player of the year award we discussed at the top of the show, but rather defensive player of the year. Somehow Aaron Donald, the favorite to win the award, is plus 400 at FanDuel. He leads the league in sacks with seven and a half. Everyone on the planet considers him the best defensive player in the NFL. If he stays healthy, this award is his. I don't get how Russell Wilson is now even money for MVP, but Donald is plus 400 for DPOY. I consider Donald at least as comfortably in the driver's seat as Wilson is. So let's risk $50 to win $200 there. All right. I'm going to shake off that Morikawa pick. Uh, I fared better in my weekly golf pool. Still have dreams of rallying for a repeat title with four events left and what has become our handmade golf schedule ending with the Masters next month. Um, this week's CJ Cup in Las Vegas has been moved from uh, South Korea for COVID reasons. A field of just 78 golfers, no cut, while the top 20 or so are uber studs, minus Dustin Johnson and Tony Finau, COVID positive. Um, the shallow end of the field is not so dangerous, so I'll be a little ambitious here. Unheralded Daniel Berger at 100 to win 250 for a top 10 and 10 bucks on Berger to win it all for 290. Mm, All right. I like it. And let's wrap things up with the fast five where 
unlike our shared betting bankroll, I am very much not break even uh, through five weeks. <laughs> I have yet to post a winning week. I went two and three last week, uh, which I guess is good by my standards, uh, to drop to an ugly nine and 16. While John, you had a strong week. You went four and one to improve to 14, 10 and one. Look, I, I know I shouldn't beat myself up over it. It's just some stupid NFL picks. It's a reasonably small sample size of 25 games. There's there's variance. I'm still over 500 across the last three years if I want to look back that far. Had a little bad luck on a couple of the picks and so forth. But it's hard not to get a little down on yourself when you're on a bad run. Hard not to let it get into your head and bum you out a little. But I'm going to try to embrace it. Make a positive out of a negative, And here goes. Forget that stupid Fade Rovell gimmick. If you want to get rich betting sports, obviously Fade Raskin is the route you take to get there. If you had bet $100 against all of my picks, you'd be up like 600 bucks right now after factoring in the VIG. I'm doing a public service with my crappy picks. So, uh, you know, John asked a few weeks ago for, for people to let him know if they'd made money shadowing his good picks. I'm asking you to let me know if you've gotten rich fading my lousy picks. <laughs> Fade Raskin. It's the best strategy in sports betting through the first five weeks of the NFL season. Uh, anyway, John, you are up by five and a half games on me through five weeks. And uh, you're up first with your picks this time. Yeah, so I'm 61, 43, and 6 in 2019-20 from a regular season picks, 58.1%. 6 and 5 less postseason, 54.5%. It may all slip away in a heartbeat, Eric, so I got to crow while the getting's good. But I'm <laughs> nervous. That the, the, I, can, I can feel, uh, you know, footsteps. I'm hearing footsteps. But okay. so far, so good. Um, it's all favorites this week, as it happens. That's where my muse took me. First off, uh, won't surprise you. Panthers minus 1.5 points over the Bullspit Bears. We'll pull the rabbit out of uh, the hat in beating the Superior Bucks last week. Uh, Bears have outscored five opponents with a combined record of 7-17 seven and 17 by a total of five points. Nick Foles, shiny object. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> Panthers have won three in a row, and, well, they're better. So, uh, also, Giants minus 2.5 points for his football team. Uh, I'd give any spread Westgate offered if Dwayne Haskins was starting for the football team. Um, he's that bad. Kyle Allen is not that bad, but the Steelers, Rams, and Bears, a combined 12-2, and two, scored a total of 60 points for us to G-men defense this year. So it's tough to see beyond the fog of ineptitude on the field. I think the Giants have themselves a real head coach. Uh, so is Ron Rivera, but, uh, you know, he's a couple decades older. I think the the no practice, the no real uh, traditional uh, preseason hurts him more than a younger coach. So I think the Giants are a bit better than the football team. Okay. Uh, th- next up is uh, Steelers over Browns minus three. Um, I don't see a signature victory on the Steelers dance card. That worries me a little bit. But Baker Mayfield has a sore chest, maybe even a rib. Uh, and this ugly rivalry means that chest will be even more sore at halftime, uh, maybe too sore to play. Uh, Browns had a decent win against the OK Colts last week, but got crushed in the opener by the Ravens. And I'm not sure either of these teams are elite despite their combined eight and one record. But give me the Steelers. Uh, another minus three, another possible push. Uh, Rams over the 49ers. This one I'm much more comfortable with. Uh, don't let anyone tell you that no NFL team got a preseason this year. The Rams already have swept the entire NFC least. Uh, their other game, the real game was a referee blunder outcome and a loss to the Bills. So small sample size of opponents who can fog a mirror. But. The Niners' two wins are against the 0-10 Meadowlands football teams. Uh, they gave the Eagles their lone win. They were crushed by the Dolphins last week. So I'm really surprised at that line. So, uh, you know, I, I would have thought 
six and a half. So I like that one. Uh, finally, speaking of those mammals uh, that uh, crushed the 49ers, uh, the Dolphins, minus eight and a half versus the Jets. Uh, the Finns don't have any dismal results so far in five games, and the Jets have lost every game by double digits. That trend continues. Okay, so this is really interesting. Uh, because I get to pick second this week, I specifically came in with the game plan of I'm going to avoid head-to-heads. Uh, I believe I'm one in five in the head-to-head so far this season. Uh, so I actually came with seven picks to choose from. I had the five that I liked best, but then I had two backup options just to avoid any head-to-head possibilities. And as it turns out, we don't have any head-to-heads. We actually have two picks in common. Um, so uh, I'm going to start uh, that's with... That's not good for me, though. <laughs> right. That's true. If you want to change any of your picks after I'm done, let me know. Yeah, um, <laughs> so I will take... Uh, first off, this is not one you had. I'll take the Lions minus three at Jacksonville. The Jags have a lot of injury problems and uh, I've let that week one upset win over Indy mislead me long enough. They are the crappy team we thought they were. The Lions coming off a bye should be able to cover the field goal here. Uh, Another field goal favorite, and this is one of the ones we have in common. I'm taking the Steelers only minus three at home against Cleveland. It's minus three and a half elsewhere, but Westgate is giving us a, a nice short line. As you said, Baker Mayfield, ribs, chest, something's hurting there. And I think the Browns are getting a little overrated, beating up on mostly subpar teams. I'm not expecting Pittsburgh to blow them out, but I think they win by more than three. Next one here, my riskiest pick. I think I like my Eagles getting seven and a half at home against the Ravens. Uh, The Eagles should be getting one or both of Jeffrey and Jackson back. I am still worried about the offensive line health, but speaking of being worried about health, I heard a source in the know on a podcast say Lamar Jackson is playing through some injuries, and that's why he's not running as much the last couple of weeks. I think if he's at 90%, the Eagles defense is good enough to keep this one close. I just think more than the touchdown at home is a little too much, so I'm taking the Eagles. Um, Now, I was tempted in the Green Bay-Tampa Bay game to go against the trend line and say that the Bucks are undervalued coming off their flukish loss to the Bears and the Packers are due for a letdown game. But then I looked at the injuries and it's all pushing me in the other direction. Uh, Devontae Adams should be back for Green Bay. Tampa Bay has a lot of key guys nursing injuries. They lost a couple of important pieces on defense. Some books have the Packers favored by a point or two, uh, but it's a pick 'em at the Superbook. So I'll take the Packers here. And it's funny, you know how a couple weeks ago you uh, predicted I was going to take a, a Cardinals game that I didn't end up taking. Uh, I would I would have bet just about anything you were going to go with the Packers uh, here, but you stayed away from that one. Um, and then my last one, that leaves one still that uh, we have in common. And uh, I kind of hinted at this during the bankruptcy segment the Dolphins only giving eight and a half at Westgate at home against the Jets Flacco is a downgrade from Darnold Fitzpatrick is playing well it's an average team against an absolute mess of a team I'm not even too scared about the backdoor cover so I'll take Miami here so now here's your opportunity do you want to get off of Pittsburgh or Miami because I took them are you going to play fade Raskin no I'm (laughs) I'm thinking about it give me one more one in four week and we'll we'll talk okay All right. Well, that will do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks, everybody out there for listening. And thanks again to our guest, Bill Asher. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And with that, John, please do your thing and take us out. 
Well, Eric, uh, you know, um, I'm playing hurt this week. Uh, attended the wake of a rotisserie league baseball rival of more than 30 years on Wednesday. It uh, doesn't help that he's a year younger than me and attended the same high school. You know, for those who have been in a fantasy league with a lot of old pals for a while, all I can say is try to keep it together, whatever the sport. You know, if life and often that's, you know, getting married, raising children, other real adult stuff, has some owners thinking of hanging it up? Well, fellow commissioners, consider making rules changes. Keeping the nucleus together is far more important than insisting on a level of commitment that just isn't realistic for a lot of the uh, players. You know, my compadre Mark had all kinds of severe health issues over the last five or six years that took away a lot of the outdoor activities that he loved, but old school rotisserie baseball rules meant he could stick with our league because there are no weekly lineups, no head-to-head play. You know, you can take two weeks off in the summer and shut down the internet. You're not necessarily losing any ground. You know, last year we even got rid of what I called the pounce rule, where whenever someone was called up from the minors who wasn't anyone's farmhand beforehand, uh, went first come first served any owner with a natural opening. So you're always looking around to pounce. Now moves are only made once a week. Lowest ranked team of those claiming gets the players. I voted against it, but as usual, my league mates were right. You know, fantasy sports league results don't mean much in the grand scheme of things. But we have, well, we had 12 owners who've been in this league for a minimum of 18 years and an average of at least 25 years. And what does mean something was Mark being able to field the team and engage inside league banter that often harkened back to the 1980s and 1990s when a lot of the rest of his life was not quite uh, still the same. You know, these leagues ultimately aren't about stats. They're about people. So I say, you know, your format and buddy league should be whatever the collective wisdom wants. Now, if the more ambitious owners want to enter more intensely competitive leagues elsewhere, I think they should. But keep your buddies together. Trust me, you'll be glad you did. After this rough week, I now understand that more than ever. So with that, until next time, gamble on, everybody.